from Dapper Devil Productions, this is BYOB News. I'm your host, Chris Barlow, and you know, the news is really depressing these days. Uh, even stories that are supposed to make you feel good, they wind up reminding you of horrible injustices that fuel the world, and then you just find out it was another entry in the Mueller case, and you think, God, I hate this. Or better yet, you think, God, I need a drink. And that's where BYOB News comes in. We're here to bring you news, both news you've heard about and news you haven't, and help you talk about it by helping us talk about it by having drinks. So grab yourself an ice cold whatever you can get your hands on right now and join us as we discuss Guatemala, Spain, and more here on a new episode of BYOB News. But first, a look at this week's top stories with our chief news correspondent in the BYOB News Booze Room, Chris Barlow. Chris? With BYOB News in New York, I'm Chris Barlow. These are the top stories. According to multiple reports, the Department of Justice is getting ready to announce the conclusion of special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation. But you might not want to get too excited, because like all blockbuster finales, this one is going to be split across two six-episode seasons, streaming exclusively on HBO. Taking a look now at the race for president, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders has officially entered the race, and in the first 24 hours, his campaign managed to raise nearly $6 million, which seems impressive until you realize it's only one five hundredth of an Amazon tax break. Hmm. Well, in response to Sanders' successful fundraising, President Trump sent a campaign email warning of the impending socialist attack on America. And for the first time ever, your uncle didn't forward you a Trump campaign email. Because you forwarded it to him first. <laughs> Fun relationship you two have. Well, Sanders' candidacy also raises the likelihood that billionaire and creator of the coffee that you hate to admit that you drink, Howard Schultz, will enter the race as an independent. Many are concerned that Schultz will play a spoiler to the Democratic nominee, but the Starbucks founder has said that he will refrain from running if Democrats nominate a centrist candidate. A fascinating strategy that worked so well for them in 2016. Oh. Well, on the GOP side, former Massachusetts governor and 2016 Libertarian vice presidential nominee William Weld has announced his intention to challenge President Trump for the Republican nomination in 2020. That's a move that would let Republicans like Jeff Flake and Mitt Romney vote their conscience in the primary before, you know, selling their souls again in the general election. Well, taking a look at science news, a new study has found that doing mental and physical exercise when you're young may help stave off dementia when you're accidentally elected president of the United States. And according to a related study, this breakthrough information has arrived about 40 years too late. Hmm. And finally, in entertainment news, the Oscars are this Sunday night, and after an extended controversy around original host Kevin Hart, the Academy has elected to play it safe and asked the ghost of John Wayne to step in. For links to the real reporting on all these stories and more, subscribe to the BYOB News letter by going to byobnews.wtf. That's byobnews.wtf. That's all the news from the booze room. Back to you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. I'm here with this week's guest, Sarah Harbour Petrich, and she's going to tell me about the story she brought. But first, I guess a programming note. If you're a longtime subscriber to this podcast, you're going to realize that this is the first episode of this podcast. So how are you a longtime subscriber of this podcast you've never heard of? Well, like all things on the internet, it's because Facebook told me about you and has been listening to everything you say.
I'm just kidding. I can't afford to buy that information from them. Actually, this is a pivot or a rebranding of a podcast called Chris Tries to Review Wine. So if you're a wine lover, don't worry. We're still drinking. And this week, we're drinking not one, but two wines because Sarah brought a wine, I brought a wine, and together, we're going to get through the news. Isn't that right, Sarah? I sure hope so. <sighs> hope is a feeling I once understood. But now I have... Red and white wine to fill its place. What what an age of bounty we live in. It truly is. And the wine I brought, which is white, which according to the government is the best color, although we know it's a lie, uh, it's also sparkling. Actually, I like this wine because I'm also secretly a gay man in Paris in 1976, and I really want to celebrate all the time. Uh, it's a nicely balanced, under 20, uh, not too dry, not too sweet way to add like a little zest to your party. Or your Friday night. Who am I to judge? Wow. I love that you want to be a Parisian man who bought this American sparkling wine that is not better than champagne. Let's just be honest. Oh, no. But instead, he said, no, no. My brand, my authentic personal brand is to have this mediocre American sparkling wine shipped to France in the 70s when we didn't have Jeff Bezos to ship things for us. So I imagine he had to, like, hire a sea captain or maybe a, a talking turtle it must have been a lot of work. I would I would imagine so. But listen, like for this character that I'm trying to be in real life, it's not about quality, it's about volume. And for under 20, you can drink a lot of it for cheap. I love it. I do still think in France, he probably could find a lot of good wine for under 20. But I guess back then they were on francs and who knows what a franc is worth. So it probably makes more sense just to bring the Gruet, Gruet Brut. That's what we're Indeed. drinking. Wow. Uh, well, I brought an Italian red wine, uh, and we're going to finish it and then open another Italian red wine. And the real trick is you're going to tell me which one was the, like, $6 red wine at Trader Joe's and which one was the fancy one from the Wall Street Journal Wine Club. I don't know if I can stand up to that pressure. I'm a simple, simple person, and as long as it comes in a glass bottle, I think it's kind of the same. Wow. Well, as someone who has done both the Wall Street Journal and NPR Wine Club, I can tell you they are actually the same wine club. And the bottles and the packaging and the choices are exactly the same. So you are right. It really makes no fucking difference. Amazing. Isn't it? It really is. Uh, and you know what else is amazing? The news. Let's get to it. Cheers. So tell me, Sarah, what story did you bring this week? So I brought something that somehow was not on my radar in 2017, um, and it's, I'm going to warn you, real depressing. It's got a number of elements that are going to make you want to tear your hair out and burn everything down. Great. So get ready. Let me take one more sip. Please do. Oh, God. Bring it on. And on the subject of burning things down, uh, in 2017, there was an institutional school in Guatemala um, that was co-ed. And one day the building just burned the fuck down and 41 girls died. Okay, you're right. That was really depressing. That's not even the worst part. Oh boy. Are you ready? One second. Okay, yeah, bring it on. So before the great conflagration, let me say words properly, um, <clears throat> there was a case against the people who ran this school, which was state-run, but not, I want to stress, for incarcerated youth. These were youth who had been removed from their families or the streets or an unstable situation and taken into state care so they'd be safe. And there was enough um, controversy over it that they went to court, and it turns out they had been uh, forcing the girls into secret sex work. They'd been uh, malnourished, uh, not educated, and one day, the girls and the boys decided this is not going to work out. They started a fake fight in the cafeteria, and a hundred kids ran away. Wow. All of this before the fire? Before the fire. So these kids run away. They, they have this fake fight, which is so clever. All the orderlies go to stop this fight. Everyone else, like, hops the fence and books it, but not fast enough. They all get recaptured and taken back to the school. They shove 
almost 60 girls in a tiny classroom with 26 very, very flammable mattresses. And they don't give them a place to pee. They don't give them any food. The judge is supposed to come and like figure things out. She just doesn't show up. The police have locked the door. They're standing outside of it. And one girl is sick of it. And she's like, let's just start a fire. They'll have to let us out. Spoiler, they don't. And they didn't. And 41 people died. Wow. That does sound like the kind of logic that would work if this was an episode of Law & Order SVU. You know, oh, yeah. in, in that world, they're like, ah, but if Olivia, if we start a fire, they'll have to let us out. No. Turns out, uh-uh. No. Uh, oh. One of the girls who survived, 14, pregnant. Ooh, well, hey, she survived. She sure I, did. That is something almost like good news. And the baby survived, and now they're back in state care. Great. That stopped being good news. Wow. So, uh... Is this, uh, as far as you can tell, is this typical of kind of the state care in Guatemala? As far as I can tell, yes. I'm not uh, a scholar on this. I'm not you academic. You have read an article. I read an article. You are a scholar. That's how it works. Exactly. I'm an expert now. But I will say, um, if you look back at the history of Central America, especially in the last, like, 80 to 100 years, say, you can see a lot of U.S. interventionist policies that really destabilize the region and create situations where you've got girls who are, and boys and, you know, people generally, who are not able to feed themselves, feed their families, access reproductive um, health care, uh, make choices about their lives. And that creates an environment where there's a lot of poverty, there's a lot of trauma. And so it's not surprising when things go terribly right, especially when you add in an authoritarian system that's not linked to the government like the Catholic Church, which, like most of Central America, is pretty dominant still. And so there's this, there's this um, intersection of power and authority and the way... Uh, People who are poor and brown, especially if they're female, are viewed. Uh, and it, it can lead to this situation where screaming girls on fire don't elicit enough sympathy from people in authority that they can get saved. Wow, that is bleak and unsurprisingly sort of our fault. Uh, uh, kind of totally our fault. Yeah, and okay. we have not learned our lesson, if you're taking a look at Venezuela. No, I was about to say, day. oh my God, you said the word, the magic word in my mind. Oh Drink my Venezuela. Drink. Oh no. Oh God, I already finished my first glass of Gruy Brut. I mean, it's so drinkable. I gotta say, it's actually very drinkable. I like that it is dry, but fruity mm -hmm. and a little like tart. It's dimensional. It's not like your, you know, your classic New York restaurant midnight uh, New Year's uh, sparkling, sparkling. The table side, like, like a, oh, this is what we got for it's everybody. It's like Andre in a decanter. Yes. Wow. And look at how much better we feel talking about this mid-level uh, sparkling wine than we felt talking about the horrible things our country has done to Latin America. Indeed. Uh, I think the bubbles are forms of joy and they, they burst in your, you know stomach uh <laughs> they they do burst in your stomach that is a place i just felt some of them bursting out of me i was gonna say it's kind of american intervention is like the bubbles in in latin america it makes it highly volatile and often it spills over when you open it terrible wow that really sums it up it's and so on theme so so on wow. brand i mean honestly you're talking about this story that i haven't heard about i don't think many people are thinking about guatemala right now but it ties into what's happening in venezuela what's happening with uh, the caravans oh the caravans the caravans the ones that we created they're coming by intervening in central america they're caravans oh god who's gonna do all the things that Americans don't want to do that are deeply underpaid now. Darn. Millennials. <laughs> Duh. Oh, my God. You know, one of my favorite stories from this week is uh, the fact that we are actually looking at the worst round of media layoffs since 2009. Since Ooh. the recession. And who, who gets affected by that? Well, typically millennials. Mm. So just to, you know, make sure we're clear on this, a millennial who works at BuzzFeed and loses their job equal to 41 dead Guatemalan children. Just equal, equal. That's, that's I think, what I'm saying. 
That ratio seems right. Uh, in in I feel the American that. perspective, yeah, yeah, yes. you know. Uh-huh. I, in fact, honestly, uh, might might be like you know, just somebody who got demoted at BuzzFeed is equal oh, to yeah. that. I mean, that level of shame is just heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they thought, hey, if I go in there and I say, no, I'm demanding more or I will burn this place down, they have to pay me more. And instead they called the cops because you can't threaten to burn your workplace down. No, no, that's, I mean, not typically. Uh, Yeah, I think it's really true that a sexually abused young teenager dying in a terrible fire surrounded by the screams of their friends is the same level of death as the spiritual death of someone who has to go on unemployment for three to four months. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the more I think about it, the more I think, according to the media, again, this is not according to me or you, this is according to the media, Mm -hmm. who we all trust and revere, and no one hates or thinks is the enemy of the people. They're just great. Everyone loves them, the media. They would like us to think that uh, these Guatemalan children actually just don't exist at all, I think is, is really it. I mean, but do they? I do they? I guess they're not even thinking about it. It's not that they don't want us thinking about it. They are completely unaware that these children existed. I, I think that's correct. And they're happier for it. You know, why think about bad things when you can write a trend piece on millennials killing Applebee's? Oh my God, we did. We did. did. Yes, we're all unemployed and it's terrible and definitely the worst thing happening. But Applebee's, we won that one, guys. We sure did. Wow. Well, you know, as we talk about um, the media, and I do love the media, don't get me wrong, I'm a member of it. But do you like how I flatter myself to say I'm a member of the media? I think you're as legitimate as anybody else. Honestly, we are. So (laughs) my question is, where did you read about this? Because this sounds like a story that's being reported by some actually good reporters. Maybe. So I read oh, about no. it today. Oh no, god damn it. I had a good feeling you about had such this. A good one. I read about it today in the New York Times because the trial is starting for all the adults who completely failed in this in protecting these children. Uh, and then I did a little more research and it turns out the New Yorker broke the story back in 2017, but it was kind of not followed up on and, you know, with all all the things like going wrong. I'm like the New Yorker, the New Yorker was busy breaking some other big shit in 2017, I know. and maybe we got distracted by that. There's so many Ooh. terrible things to think about all the time, but the good news is they're all connected. Economic justice is always the through line of other forms of injustice, so we can start there and kind of build out a little tree of things that are bad. Wow, you said that in such an optimistic way, but I'm pretty sure it's bad news. I'm pretty sure you just delivered bad news, (laughs) but I feel really good about it. Like, yeah, we're going to branch out into all kinds of bad stuff. And the best part is it's all related. So good luck. Well, I guess here's here's the takeaway. Here's what I think about so I don't cry all the time and can actually function and like work to make things uh better in the world at large. If you fix the fix the economic injustice, it makes all the problems a lot more manageable. Although then you have to fix the economic injustice, which is global and like based on capitalism being the worst and also colonialism. I don't know. It's a tough call. Oh boy, you were onto something and then I felt lost and hopeless again. But I, I, again, I like that. It's kind of like, boy, if we just fix the environment, then everything will be solved except for how will we pay for it and will, will oh, the developing nations that that didn't get to ruin the environment for all those decades, and now who are we to tell them they can't have air conditioners? Oh, shit, we're doomed. Yeah. Yeah. Who yeah. Are- I mean, listen, I like in a perfect world, we'd go full Star Trek. Money would no longer exist because it's imaginary anyway. We can find other ways to trade value. Uh, we can start seeing people as beings inherently worthy and need, like worthy of healthcare, and, you know, I don't know mental health and housing and clothes and food, but eh, pipe dreams. I think I can tie this all together for us because, you know, you talk about, wouldn't it be great if we went full Star Trek, got rid of all the money, and we're talking about, uh, you know, the southern border and the migrant crisis. Mm -hmm. He says with air quotes, you can't see. Uh, And amazingly, I think this is all of one thing. Much like you said, everything is related and it's terrible because follow me on this, okay? Star Trek says that we live in a future with no money. The president wants to abuse 
uh, a law that lets him have unlimited power, essentially. It is an existing mm-hmm. law that gives him these emergency powers, but he wants to abuse that law mm-hmm. in order to spend a bunch of imaginary money, essentially. Okay. The last time, not the last time, I should say a notable time this was done in a way, uh, was FDR. Mm-hmm. FDR, he used a World War One era, like, import ban that was specifically a wartime measure that Congress just forgot about. He used it to ban the importing of gold in order to make our currency as fictional as it is today. He was worried in the depression that people were going to hoard gold and actually mm-hmm. that was going to cause even more economic pain for the country. And in order to stabilize the currency and pay everybody in the new deal, he said, you know what? Let's ban the importing of gold so that dollars are just worth dollars, the imaginary concept we've all invented. And so if you look at it in, in that way, We've just created the problems that we are now abusing to create new problems. But when we created them, we had the best of intentions. It was FDR. Who can say no? I mean, America's always been known for innovation. That's true. That's true. And so maybe the thing that will bring an end to this nonsensical currency is spending uh, unlimited amounts of it on a nonsensical wall. Or we'll be like Germany post-World War I, pre-World War II, and start a global conflict that will shape everyone's lives going forward forever. That'll be fun. It won't, won't it be? Definitely podcast-worthy. Definitely. And the music of the time was so good, I feel like we're in for a real treat. Speaking of real treats, we have red wine to drink as well, and we have games to play, more news to talk about. If that doesn't make you want to keep listening, I just think you should keep listening anyway, so don't even think about it. Keep listening. Ask yourself no deep, hard questions. Just refill your drink and join us after the break. And we're back with BYOB News, the podcast that makes the news bearable as long as you're drinking as much as we are. I'm here with this week's guest, Sarah Harbour-Petrich, who just brought me a really depressing story about Guatemala, Uh, but she also brought a delicious sparkling wine. Now we're moving on to my wine, uh, which is an Italian red, and we are starting with Saracosa Toscana. Uh, this is an Italian red from Italy. Okay, how uh, how about we talk about more things in the news this week, Sarah? I feel great about that. First up, this is something we were talking about before we got started and something that everybody has been talking about here in New York. I'm talking, of course, about everyone's favorite giant corporation, Walmart. Just kidding. We won't let them move here. They're they're out in some borough, but not here. No, no. We're gross. Gross. But we were willing to bend over backwards for Amazon uh, until Amazon decided that we weren't bending over enough. I, I don't know. What was the problem? I think it was some people decided that other people were going to bend over but did not get their consent first. Consent is mandatory. Yeah. Even if you're a governor and a mayor, yeah. you gotta ask. You know, one of my favorite things in this is in multiple articles I've read about it, uh, the, the writer, and this includes the New York Times, the New York Times said that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was, uh, you know, uh, instrumental in keeping Amazon out of her district. You know, I'm delighted that the opinions of a woman under 30 are given so much weight, even though she has nothing to do with that district. I know! It's not her district. She is is a representative of parts of Queens. That is true. However, there are many parts of Queens. Turns out Queens is big. There's a lot of it. Did you know both airports are in Queens? Both airports. I did know that, which makes no sense No sense. Why is JFK in Queens? I don't know. I'm so confused. But you actually come from Amazon land. You are from the Seattle area. I Uh, do. Do do you feel like uh, this is their MO? Does this surprise you? Oh, absolutely. I remember back when I was but a young thing, and Amazon was like the local bookseller that could. We were all really proud of it. We felt about like the same way about Starbucks. Like, oh my God, it's, oh, our, you fools, it's our books. You because fools. before that, we'd only had Microsoft, which was lame. And 
grunge, which kind of like burnt out in the whole heroin thing. Oh, right. Yeah. So like effective, but like didn't really change housing prices. But then Amazon blew up and my hometown, which is about 30 miles south of Seattle, was like a very, it was very affordable. There were houses in decent neighborhoods under $200,000 to buy you know, good schools, uh, like problems, but like pretty, pretty decent, you know, mid-sized city things like breeding serial killers. But that's besides the point. Uh, so Amazon moves in, blows up, attracts all these people, pays them so much money and no one can afford Seattle anymore. So everyone starts moving to Tacoma. Tacoma housing prices go up. All the artists get kicked out of Seattle because there's no renter protections because they didn't have to have them before. Right. And now, like, all the neighborhoods are losing their personality. The good bars are gone. The gay district is gone. And it's just, like, bros in, like, fleece jackets. Oh, like, God. Oh, no. <laughs> wandering the city talking about Soylent and life hacking. Oh, that's bleak. But here's, okay, here's the, it's not a good part, but here's a satisfying part. Seattle is populated by the angry Balkan, uh, the, the angry descendants of the Balkan uh, peoples who were, you know, they're, they're like quietly full of rage all the time. It's great. So newcomers are like, oh man, I can't make friends in Seattle. People are so mean. Like, yes, we fucking are because you ruined it. Wow, and that is basically what New York just did to oh, Amazon. Absolutely. They were like, oh, you want to come here? Well, guess what? Fuck you, assholes. Which is a very New York thing to do. Classic New York, very direct, immediate. You know precisely where you stand here. Uh, so one of my favorite things about the entire Amazon fallout, we're now deep in the fallout, has been kind of Mayor de Blasio's strange both sidesism. He mm. he is very much uh, saying there are good people on both sides here. <laughs> Amazon, good people who don't know how good they would have it with us, mm. so it's their fault for leaving. And New York, good people who shouldn't have been so mean to Amazon who wanted to come give us jobs. Like he he's really trying to have his cake and eat it too. Uh, but the part that I have consistently found so strange with his pitch is that it's all about improving the, the quality of jobs in New York. He's saying, we're going to have all of these higher paying jobs for your fleece clad tech bros, and that's going to elevate all New Yorkers, which is noble rhetoric. I get it. But to your point about housing costs, somebody has to be the janitor at HQ2. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to sell coffee at that Starbucks, and they need to afford to live remotely close to where they work. I'm not saying they need to have a beautiful apartment with a view of the East River. Although but, there's nothing wrong with that. But if also, you're why the fuck job? not? Right. You know? So the fact that he, he keeps trying to sell us on this pitch that fundamentally misses what we're worried about, which is... For, for those of us who uh, rely on the service industry or work in the service industry or just love the people who work in the service industry because without them, New York City literally wouldn't function, we need to protect them and make sure that they have a place to live. And everybody seems to be missing that point except for the people who basically defeated Amazon, which is a crazy sentence to say because nobody can defeat Amazon. They literally own half of the things in my apartment. I mean, it's true. I think that there's also this greater issue here where we've somehow accepted as a society the idea that because, like, if you're not upper middle class or wealthy, you don't deserve to have a beautiful life filled with beautiful things. And you do. Everyone deserves to have a view of somewhere lovely, a beautiful park their kids can play in, uh, a place for your dog to walk around and smell plants. It's a not, commute it's not that's a luxury less than an hour. to have a decent life. Yes, yes, I agree. And so, listen, we've said enough about Amazon. I really love your perspective from the West Coast. And oh, you're I, welcome. I think there were pros and cons to this, but it wasn't worth anything that we were giving them. Uh, and the fun part is, we were just giving them what we'd give any corporation, because it's a giveaway. <laughs> And that brings us to our next top story this week, or story that happened in the last week, or I don't know, just a thing. The next <laughs> thing, on. Amazon didn't pay any taxes this year. You know, I did my taxes today, and I make, at this point, a fairly decent living, and I thought, wow, I pay so much money 
for things that I don't actually want to happen, but also like that's part of society, right? Like, yeah. Or also I think sometimes I pay so much money for something I will never receive, mm. AKA social security. Oh, right. You know, yeah, there, yeah, there are yeah. certain parts of it where I'm like, I feel like I'm paying into a pyramid scheme and I am way too low on the totem pole to ever make this work. Oh yeah. You're never getting that pink Cadillac. <sighs> it's never happening. Damn but it. none of us are. <laughs> well, that makes me feel better. On the other hand, like, how many people's parents actually save for retirement? So this saves you from having to pay out of pocket? Uh. Hey, you know, the great thing is that my parents are going to work forever. I'm going to work forever. My children won't exist because we'll all be dead by then. But if they mm -hmm. did, they're going to work forever. Absolutely. So you know what? It's just we're all learning together you know, it's what just, the future looks it's like. It's old-fashioned values. If you oh. want to go back to the way things were when they were great for... Probably someone. Like, get back like 700 years. Everyone worked from the moment they were born until the day they died. Make feudalism great again. Exactly. Oh, I love it. But speaking of feudalism, another big story uh, that happened recently is out in Spain. Obviously, they're not a feudal country anymore, but, but you know, Europe, follow me on this. It's sure. a great segue. Spain is going through a government crisis, which is fun because, like, so is every democracy in Europe. It's terrifying. We've got the yellow vest protesters in France. We've got Angela Merkel announcing that she's going to step down in Germany. We have Brexit drink. Mm. Mm. And on top of all that, Spain is uh, calling snap elections because uh, the socialist government, and this pains me especially because it's one of the only functioning socialist governments in Europe, the socialist government couldn't pass a budget uh, because they lost their coalition partners, which were the Catalan representatives. Oh, no. Yeah, so all of this, if you're not familiar, Catalonia, region in Spain, you know it as where Barcelona is. Mm -hmm. uh, they have always had their own culture. They're actually kind mm -hmm. of part Spanish, part French. They, they have, have their, their own, own language. language. It's a beautiful part of the world. Mm -hmm. So the representatives from Catalonia, they stopped supporting the socialist government because 12 Catalonian uh, government officials are on trial for essentially treason for their role in the Catalonian independence referendum that went uh, went down, uh, you know, a while ago. Mm -hmm. uh, that was kind of almost their Brexit debacle, but we can't mm -hmm. focus on too many European debacles at once. So a lot of us missed that. And I think it's fascinating because on the one hand, they're kind of like Scotland. Mm -hmm. Scotland! Oh, that's yeah. who they're like. They're kind of like Scotland. They've got their own history, their own traditions. They're not essentially Spanish, though they have been part of Spain forever you know, as far as Spain is concerned. So even though the current Spanish government, the socialists, are not the people who arrested the Catalonian separatists, that was the former government, which was from the conservative end of the spectrum, even though it was their fault, the socialists kept going with the trial, oh. which caused their coalition to fall apart, which I'm like, guys, did you not see that coming? It seems pretty obvious. I feel like it's pretty predictable at this point. Like, this has been an issue for, I don't know, decades, yes. hundreds of years? Yes. A while? Yes. And all, you know, in the end, though, it is one of those things where it would be like if Texas said, I want to leave the union. Mm -hmm. And some people would be like, well, Texas is its own thing. Let Texas leave the union. But the union does not allow for Texas to leave the union. Although they right. do have their special thing they do every year where they vote to stay or whatever because they're Texas. Right. Fancy pants. But in reality, we had a war where we said we don't get to leave. I hear it was a big one. I don't know. I guess it was important. So I think it's fascinating because they're grappling with some of the same questions mm -hmm. in Spain, but in an environment where Catalonia would essentially be part of the EU. Mm -hmm. So if they left... Nothing would change on the ground except for the fact that they would now be a separate country. And I can imagine big countries would find that terrifying because then what is to stop, you know, the Loire Valley from leaving France and becoming Loire? Or, or what's to stop, you know, Burgundy from leaving France and becoming Burgundy? <laughs> so many regions in France, guys, they could all be their own countries. I mean, we could talk about Wales. You know, what if Wales or, you know, Scotland tried to leave the UK? What if Northern Ireland decided to reunite with, with the rest of Ireland? Uh, we could talk about a lot of things. But the other thing is, like, why are, you know, here, okay, let me go on, like, a little bit of a feminist rant, which is so surprising, I know. It's, it's like an abusive relationship, right? Like, the person with the most power doesn't know that the way to keep the thing they want is to treat 
the person, people, society, class, whatever, well. And then you don't have to use violence and intimidation. If you are treating people well, if they're invested in your society, in your country, your relationship, whatever, then you don't have to be so afraid all the time and react with such violent and uh, divisive means that are just going to lead to more division and violence. That's that's really true. And also when I hear that with Spain, I think I think they missed the boat there. I think they're past that moment. And now there's one side that just, they want to negotiate leaving. And there's another side that says, you can't leave. Mm-hmm. And where do you find the middle ground when that's how far you've past and honestly it makes me think of brexit it makes me think of america Mm -hmm. it makes me think of many many polarized environments right now where you go boy there was a time when we might have been able to negotiate a middle ground but i don't know how we begin coming towards that middle ground right i mean maybe there isn't a way maybe the next phase of of the of world politics is more small countries, more, I guess not tribalism, but more, you know, more of like a regional identity that is legally codified. I, who knows? I have to say, boy, we are going really off script here. <laughs> but I actually think that is something that seems really likely. Because when you think about it, we're in a position where people are scared of globalization, mm-hmm. not just in America, but across the world. There's so much local reaction, wanting to keep things national, wanting to protect your people. But at the same time, no one can stop globalization. It is happening. Mm-hmm. We will not slow it down, no matter how hard we try. Mm-hmm. And so the result is actually going to be a, a balance that is powered by extremes, the extreme of wanting to make things very local and very national, and the extreme that is, well, I'm going to buy my phone that was designed in California and assembled in China for minerals from Africa and involved packaging made in Vietnam, and all of that is going to keep happening because it has to. Mm -hmm. Nothing will stop that. So in the end, the extremes actually meet in the middle without knowing it. Right. And I think that's I think that's really likely not being an academic, not being a specialist in this kind of thing, but just looking at the way of the world and the patterns of of humanity. You know, back in the day, Germany, I mean, all of Europe was really loosely associated tribes. They only became Germany way late in the game. France was the same way. The only reason there's like a united Europe is because the Catholic Church took over after Rome fell. Yeah. And these moments happen and we get united and then people get pissed off at the big government. And then things split apart again. And we go back and forth. Cycle of life. It's the circle of life. Okay, I can't sing any more of that because I can't afford to pay for it. But what I can afford to pay for is the royalty-free music we use whenever we play a drinking game here on BYOB News. See what I did there? That I is, see. That is a segue. Uh, and so I have a really fun drinking game for you. I was going to call it Bottom of the Bruise. under the idea that we might be drinking beer, but we're not. So instead, we'll call it Bottom of the Brews Red Wine Edition, as you enjoy our second red wine of the evening, another Italian red. This one is Griffon Toscana. So we're going from Toscana to Toscana. See if you can follow us as we move on to a drinking game where I will ask you a series of very specific questions about a news story that I bet you have read nothing about. And all you get to know is the headline. Ooh. Right? So, I don't know if I lose if I know things or if I don't know things. Well, I was about to say the fun part is it's win-win. If you get the question right, I drink. And if you get the question wrong, you drink. And either way, we get to drink. Yay! <gasps> Doesn't that sound fun? It sounds delightful. And the headline is, Kids YouTube star Blippy regrets the viral video in which he poops all over his friend. Here we go. Question one. Before he was a kid's YouTube sensation, Blippi, a.k.a. Stephen John, was originally known as what? A. Boobies. B. Steve the Shitter. Or C. Steezy Grossman. Okay, uh, because he regrets pooping, I'm going to say it's not B. C seems on the nose. I'm going to go with A. Oh, it would feel right that an early Blippi would be boobies, but I am sorry to say... It was C, Stevie, Steezy Grossman. Steezy Grossman. Uh, You have to have a drink. 
I, yes, I do. Uh, you really do after learning about Steezy Grossman. Mm. I feel like he's just on a skateboard all the time. What do you think about this second red wine? Steez- oh, I think it's lovely. Not Steezy? Not Steezy. Well, then get ready, because I have more to tell you about Steezy Grossman, because question two, in the pre-Blippy video, this is from 2013, uh, Stephen John, a.k.a. Steezy Grossman, defecates over his friend while doing what? A, the Harlem Shake. B, icing a cake. Or C, the video was actually a deep fake. Do you know what a deep fake is? I do not. A deep fake is uh, when they take a, a real celebrity, a real person's face, and they actually computer map it onto another person. Oh, okay. Now that we know what a deep fake is. Was he famous enough in 2013 to warrant a deep fake? Or is he famous enough today to warrant a deep fake? Yeah, I I, I want to say no, but I don't know what the kids are up to these days. But Ice and a Cake seems like a little too porny for this situation. What was the option A again? The Harlem Shake. I feel like, I mean, it's 2013. I feel like it's A. Ah, you are right. It is A. I gotta take a drink. Oh. 2013 was a dead giveaway there, wasn't it? It was a big clue. Uh, So again, picture a man with his pants off doing the Harlem Shake while projectile shitting on his friend. Projectile shitting? Projectile shitting. Like, I'm impressed. You have to plan your diet so well to make that happen. It's, It's impressive. Which leads us to question three, because this guy is impressive. Oh my. With over 3.5 million subscribers <laughs> as Blippy, Stephen John was definitely trying to erase the existence of Steezy Grossman from the internet. So uh, he removed Steezy Grossman's website, mm-hmm. but thanks to the internet archive, we now know that which of these following titles are the real titles of real Steezy Grossman I'm videos. Really excited. Okay, A, Turd Boy, B, Underwear Man, (laughs) or C, Mistletoe Kissing Prank. I think it's a trick question. I think it's D, all of the above. Oh my god, you're right, I have to drink. (laughs) I can't believe it. Oh Oh my my God. god. I really thought I'd get you with that one, but it's true. But now I know. Now I know about Stacey Grossman. No, and more evidence. Nothing on the internet ever dies. It you never can does. Take down your never, weird ever. website where you shit on people, and it's still gonna be there. <laughs> Which is a great thing to know as someone who's still reeling from the end of Tumblr's porn. But you know, that's a topic for a different episode. There, a new Tumblr will rise. <sighs> Don't day. worry. But finally, we have one more question okay. about our friend Blippy, aka Steezy Grossman. So we know about the poo tape, as, as I like to call it, thanks to the tireless work of which of these news organizations, and it was one of these. A, Ronan Farrow at the New Yorker. B, Michael Barbaro at the Daily at the New York Times. Or C, Katie Natopoulos at BuzzFeed News. Ooh, that's a tough one. I feel like... Ronan Farrow is probably investigating someone else who's terrible, who's really powerful. And I don't think Blippi meets that standard yet. I feel like BuzzFeed is doing too much serious news these days, and is also really in from layoffs. Go with B. Oh, I love that, but no! Damn it! You really fell into my trap there, where I'm like... BuzzFeed's really trying to make a serious name for itself. Certainly, the people that broke the... The Christopher Steele dossier. Remember, these are the people who brought us evidence, supposedly, of the pee tape. They also yeah. brought us the poo tape. Oh my. Uh, well, they're on, they know what they're doing. I'm telling you, BuzzFeed is really on brand. And there we have it. You did okay at our game. All right. That's Good fine. enough. I'll give uh. you I'll give you points because we both got to drink. And that's uh, that's a win. And I got your trick question. I feel like that's really important. Honestly, congratulations. You. you are a winner here on Bottom of the Bruise.
Okay, that's plenty of that. But isn't it fun <laughs> to end on a musical note? It is wow. so fun. I love music. Bottom of the bruise or whatever we're calling that. I, I guess I'll have to I think to it's th- the red wine edition. It's the red wine edition. Sure that's is. right. And how do you feel about this? Do you think that this second Toscana is a fancier Toscana than it the feels, first it's Toscana? A little, it's a little more tanniny, which I feel tan-y. like can read as fancier. I don't know if it's objectively fancier, but I do like it. It's very then, drinkable. Then I have great news for you because this second one, the Griffon Toscana, is like $7 at the Trader Joe's wine shop, including oh, tax. Let me be I clear. Love that. It's great. Thank you. The first Toscana, also good, from the Wall Street Journal Wine Club, which if you want to subscribe to, I, I would just tell you subscribe to the NPR Wine Club because it's the same thing. And then NPR gets a kickback instead of the Wall Street Journal. Seems I feel great about that. Better. I think that's wonderful. I also like that the bottle is really fancy for the Wall Street Journal Wine Club, which I think oh, is like yeah. part of the appeal. It's got an embossed glass thing. It does. It's, it's really clear. Oh, I love it. Well, I you know, think that's, I think that's an image from Pompeii. It's real fancy. It is fancy, and I like a fancy thing. A fancy yeah. thing helps distract me from the madness. It makes you feel special. Yeah, and you know, if, if anything, I think we've learned here on the first episode, really, of BYOB mm-hmm. News, we've learned that that there is a lot going on that I would love to be distracted from. Would you not? I would love that, too. I'm Listen, always looking for a distraction. We learned about some very important things. We, we drank did. some very important booze. Indeed. But mostly, I want to leave knowing what can I do to cleanse my mental palate. Mm. So, so Sarah, I want to know, what's your favorite distraction this week? Well, this week, I was being real cool. I was home on Friday night, knitting and drinking red wine, and watching Friday Prejudice. More productive than me, I was home on Friday night, drinking red wine, and not doing anything at all. Just, just sitting there, silently. It's self-care, Chris. It's self-care. Thank you. Okay. So, knitting, drinking red wine, watching 1995's Colin Firth edition of Pride and Prejudice, which is still great. I know. It's a classic. My roommate comes home, and she's been at the bar, and she is so excited about this this Pride and Prejudice version. She's, like, talking about the plot and getting all the names wrong, and it was the most fun I'd had all week. So what you're saying is your recommended distraction of the week is get a drunk roommate and put on your favorite movie. Yes. Preferably one they think they know a lot about that they don't know a lot about. So you're really saying like pick a late mid-90s movie. Like pick pick something from like 1996 to 2003. I mean, listen, 10 Things I Hate About You, always a solid choice. Yes. Romy Michelle's High School Reunion. It's all great. Fun fact, 10 Things was filmed in my hometown. My sister is in it. I can narrate the whole damn thing for you. Wow. I know. I'll have to have you back on to do that. I will. <laughs> Honestly, that would be a nice distraction from the week's Wouldn't news. It be fun? Thank you. Allison Janney's in it. It's great. Oh my God, stop. You know, the rumors, the rumors that they'll reboot the West Wing. Oh, God. I don't I, I don't know. And I'm like, listen, Allison Janney, she's got this whole career as the mom on mom. Does she have time? And and is it the West Wing without her? I it's not. Know. And Martin Sheen's got the whole Grace and Frankie thing. And Sam also he Watterson? can't be president anymore. No, unless he's it's, his term. Oh, oh my God. Well, there's a lot to be worried there about. There surely is. But I've been distracted this week. Please tell me. I didn't even tell you why I'm worried about the West Wing reboot. What about Sam Seaborn? According mm. to West Wing lore, Bartlett told Sam Seaborn he would be president by now. <gasps> but but Rob Lowe is a crazy Trump supporter. And he I, is. I know, I, 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 I know. Listen, at some point, I have to tell you my unified theory of Rob Lowe, which crosses multi-universes. Wow, well, we don't have time for that this week. I know. Based on your lengthy pause after you said that. <laughs> yeah, you really indicated that, boy, that's going to be too much for tonight. Um, but I do want to tell you, I have a distraction this week, and Please. it's not just changing the subject every time we get to me. <laughs> Though I do want to point out that I have this new puppy who's adorable, oh, she's but wonderful. farting a lot. And it's a real mixed bag. But my main distraction this week would be my old Game Boy Advance. Ooh. Okay, if I'm being honest, my old Game Boy Advances, I have two because I had the original Game Boy Advance. You love technology. And then later I got the Game Boy Advance SP, which this is the thing that makes me so obsessed about it right now. The Game Boy Advance SP was the first Game Boy with a backlit screen. No, really? Yeah, and, and if you're having a hard time picturing this, I want you to look at your phone screen and then imagine if there was no light 
if mm-hmm. it was either colors but no light like take your phone and turn the brightness down to the minimum that is what game boys were palm pilots were originally the original game boy advance which was advanced mm-hmm. it it had no backlight ran off two double a's and had no backlight how did we live i literally i Pre-black found it light. and i got so excited because it was like double a's i have yeah. some double a's let me turn on my old game boy advance yeah. and it's unplayable you can't see anything on the screen because it's so dark you literally have to be sitting under like direct sunlight which we're also programmed not to do because of our glass screened phones and pads we're like glare ew so it's literally like i have no overhead lighting in my apartment i cannot play this old game boy because it requires I mean, is it, it that or is it that we're old and our eyes are bad now like is this why shut up i'm young games? forever i'm young forever <laughs> i'm still playing the video games i played in 1998 when they were new i'm young forever we've been friends since 2006 and we're not young anymore oh god <laughs> well the good news is i also found my game boy advance sp which was a the it was a foldable edition it's actually oh it's actually really cool wow. uh, it had a rechargeable battery and a backlit screen oh so you're not old it's really just the technology that's wrong yeah. um and i realized i could get a new charger for it on <gasps> no. amazon bringing what? it full circle they left new york but they haven't left me in my time of need <laughs> amazon got me a charger for my game boy advance sp uh, the battery on it is terrible because it's like 15 years old. But yeah, yeah. actually, oh my God, it's like 20 years old. Can you replace that battery? Oh my God. But the important part is it has been really fun to dig oh, this thing wonderful. out and plug in the games that I was playing when mm. I was 10, Aww. 11. Oh, yeah. Back when we had hope for a bright future. I like to think that's back when I didn't know that the feeling I was experiencing was hope. Like I had hope, but I had no idea that's what it was called. It was just normal. Yeah, you know, it's time to be alive. A wise woman once said, you don't know what you got till it's gone. They paved paradise and put up a parking lot. (sighs) Oh. Damn right. Wow. That is as deep as I can get. And we are deep into some wine. So listener, I hope you are too, because the news is hard. And whether you're drinking or not, every week we will drink for you here on BYOB News. BYOB News is a Dapper Devil production. This episode was written, directed, produced, and edited by Chris Barlow. Hey, that's me. You can find out more about the articles and stories we discussed by subscribing to the BYOB News Letter at byobnews.xyz. That's byobnews.xyz. Until then, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to leave us a review so everyone knows the only way to get your news is BYOB News.